our text this morning. We come to the preaching of God's Word. It's Matthew 25, verses 14 through 30. Again, that's Matthew 25, verses 13 through 40. Um, it's a little weird preaching to just a couple people in the room, so uh, forgive me for, uh, for that. Um, as you're turning in your, in your Bibles to Matthew 25, it's helpful to note the context of this parable. We've been in a series on the parables of Jesus, and this parable that we have before us today comes at the end of a, last, of a long speech that Jesus gives uh, right before he's crucified. Um, the main theme of this talk, of this discourse, is the last judgment the final days when Christ comes back to judge the living and the dead. And it's one long answer to a question that his disciples ask him back in verse, uh, chapter 24, verse 3. His disciples come to him and they say, Tell us, when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? So the, the answer that Jesus gives them is, is recorded in chapter 24 and chapter 25 of the Gospel of Matthew. And the main application Jesus makes, he talks about um, what does it mean to be a faithful servant in the kingdom of God? And so to illustrate his point, he tells two parables. First, he tells the parable of the ten virgins, which is in the the first part of Matthew 25. Um, And then he tells this parable that we have today, the parable of the talents. Uh, Jesus is saying, essentially, he says, hey, I'm I'm going away for a while. Um, but I want, I'm going to come back one day as the judge to judge the living and the dead. And here's what you should be doing in the meantime. Here's what that means for you while you wait. And the two main points of these parables, um, we summarize like this. He says, Jesus says, while I'm away, you are to wait expectantly. That's the parable of the ten virgins. And then he says, while I'm away, until I return, Christians... You are to work faithfully, to wait expectantly and to work faithfully. So follow along with me as I read Matthew 25, verses 14 through 30. Jesus says, For it will be like a man going on a journey, who called his servants and entrusted to them his property, To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground, and hid his master's money. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents here. I have made five talents more. And his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he who had the two talents came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. 
His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed, so I was afraid. And I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. But his master said to him, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gathered where I scattered no seed? Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I would have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This ends the reading of God's holy word. Let's pray and go before our Father and ask for the help of his spirit. Father, this is um, potentially a very hard passage to hear. Um, We pray for your help, uh, the help of your Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, speak through the words that you inspired to be written. Uh, Speak into our hearts. Um, Cause our eyes to uh, become fixed on Jesus and his goodness. I pray that you would motivate our hearts today from your word to steward well the talents, the gifts that you have given us uh, until you, Christ, return. Speak through my words. May we hear your words over my own today. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. So as you've heard often in this series of parables, parables are earthly stories with spiritual meanings or heavenly realities. And Jesus told parables to illustrate what the kingdom of God was like. He told parables to give us a picture of what God's economy, what God's kingdom looks like. But he also told parables to reveal our hearts, to take a a picture of the inside, what's going on. And Jesus tells this parable today, the parable of talents, to drive home the point that until Jesus returns, we are to steward well, to work faithfully with the talents he has entrusted to us. Until Jesus returns, Christians are to work faithfully with the gifts, the talents that he has given them. For those of you who are keeping score at home, you can follow along with these three headings. Today, first we're going to look at the talents, then we're going to look at the point of the talents, and then third, we're going to look at the motivation for the work, the motivation for the work. And if you are a student or a child listening today, I have some questions for you as well that you should be able to answer by the end of the sermon. First question, what are the gifts that God has given you? Second question, what can you do with those gifts? Thirdly, 
want you to be able to answer, what is God like? What is God like? So first, let's look at the talents. Look with me at verse 14. Jesus begins the parable saying that the kingdom of God will be like a man who, going on a long journey, called his servants and entrusted to them his property. A good habit when reading scripture is to pay attention to the verbs that are used, the action words that are used. And so Jesus says the man calls his servants, and first word, first verb he says, he entrusts to them his property. He takes his own resources, his own wealth, and he gives it to his servants. And he says, here, while I'm gone, I'm trusting you with my resources. The takeaway from this uh, is that the talents that the master gives always belong to the master. They don't belong to the servants. The servants can never say, this is, this is my money. No, it always belongs to the master. Even the third servant recognizes this. When the master comes back, the third servant says, here, you can have what is yours. Um, and then, but the next verb that I want us to notice, the text says, um, to one servant, he gave five talents. He's giving away his talents and entrusting them to them. To one, he gave five talents. To another, two. To another, one. So we see that the man is extremely generous. Uh, and in Jesus' day, a talent wasn't like we typically think of talents, like skills and abilities. A talent was a way to measure money. Uh, and it was, one talent was worth about 20 years' wages. So talking in terms uh, of American dollars, if you do the math based on the average American salary, the total number of talents this man gives out to his servants is between seven and eight million dollars. Seven and eight million dollars. So to one servant, he gives five talents. So if you were that servant, that would be like Jeff Bezos or uh, Bill Gates giving you 4.5 million dollars and saying, here, I'm going on a trip, I'm going to Tahiti, do something with us while I'm gone. Uh, the next servant gets $3 million. And the last guy gets a measly $1 million. And don't miss that last servant. He still gets a lot of money. It would take him 20 years to earn that much. It's not a small gift. But what are the talents? Remember, this is a parable. It's a, it's a earthly story with a spiritual meaning. And so often things are used symbolically to represent something greater. And I believe Jesus here is using talents, money, to talk about something much more. I believe he's using talents to talk about the, the resources of the king that we are stewards of in his kingdom. He's talking about the resources of the king. So here's what I mean. Does this lesson apply to money? Absolutely, it applies to money. But I believe Jesus is talking about way more than just money. He's talking about all kinds of gifts, all kinds of resources that he has given his people. The Apostle Paul makes this point in 1 Corinthians 4, verse 7, when he says, What do you have that you have not received? Everything we have in this life, even our life itself, is a gift from our Heavenly Father. That means our money, yes. It always remains his. But it also means our family, our house, 
our jobs, our schools, our natural skills and abilities, our position, our influence. Uh, As Jason has said over and over through the series on Ecclesiastes, life is gift, not gain. Plus, if you're a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of you, and you have spiritual gifts in addition to all of these other physical gifts. You have uh, the Spirit is operating in you for the benefit of other people to show them, to point them to Jesus. So you have spiritual gifts as well. So what? What's our takeaway from this? Well, first of all, I think it means that it's not just myself or Jason or Martin that have the gifts and resources to be used for God's kingdom. We have all been given something. A lot of times Christians will say, I'm not, I'm not a pastor, I'm not going into full-time ministry, I'm not a missionary, so um, God can't really use me that much. Um, or, or, you know, I don't really have anything to offer. I just have the one talent. Look at so-and-so over there. They've got talents coming out of their ears. God really can use them. Um, but that's not true. We've all been given something. Look at what the passage says about the servants. He says that they were each given according to their ability. So they each received a different amount, but they all received something. Here's the point. Every every single one of us has been given many gifts from our generous Father. And with the gift comes the calling to steward them well until Jesus comes back. Students, kids, this includes you as well. If you trust and rest in Christ, you have the Holy Spirit in you just the same as me. And that means you have spiritual gifts. You, have, uh, you are part of this church as well, and you have something to contribute for the kingdom of God. We have all been giving something. But comparing ourselves to one another, saying, I just have the one talent. You know, they have five talents. I can't really do that much. Comparing ourselves to other Christians, comparing what we have to other Christians will stifle us. Comparison kills action. Comparison kills action. What do you have to offer? What has God given you? So secondly, that leads, uh, that leads to our, our second point. Excuse me. Um, we're going to talk about the point of the gifts. What are they for? There's a reason that, that the master gives them to him. Um, look with me at verse at what the first two servants do with the talents they received. Verse 16, He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them and made five talents more. The servant took what the man had given them and he traded with them is the phrase it uses. And the sense from the, the Greek here is that he put them to work. He was active with them. So that they multiplied, that they increased. And notice also that he went at once. He didn't wait around to think up a plan. It just seemed natural to him. The obvious thing to do with the talents he had received was to put them to work. The second servant did the same thing. And he earned two talents more. They weren't concerned about themselves. They weren't concerned about the risk. They simply put what the man had given them to work. So that, they, that the gifts, the talents increase. What do we learn from this? Well, remember before I said that before the man went away, uh, Jesus says that he entrusted his property 
to his servants. He expected them to do something with the talents. There was a responsibility, a calling that came with the giving. There was a responsibility, a calling that came with the giving. Notice also the response of the man when he comes back. Verse 20 says, He who had received five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I've made five talents more. And his master says to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over little. I uh, will place you over much. The servant who had been given the two talents does the same thing. And though they had both received uh, diff- they had both earned different amounts back based on their gifts, they both received the same commendation from their master. He wasn't keeping track of their returns. He didn't say to the second guy, oh, you didn't earn five talents like the first guy. What's up? You know, I'm really disappointed in you. He's not keeping a record. God is not the record keeper. So he's not concerned with the rate of return on the gifts. He just wants us to do something for his kingdom with what he's given us, even if it's small to us. It's not small to the king. So how, the question for us is how do we put the talents of God to work for his kingdom? How do we use what he's given us, the resources, his resources that he's given us, to work for his kingdom's sake? How can you put what God has given you to work for the benefit of those around you, both spiritual and physical? How can you use what you have to serve those people around you? How can you use your job to make the world, the city, a better place to live in? How can you put your gifts, your spiritual gifts, to work in the church, in the city, so that the kingdom of God expands and more people come to know Jesus? Not, like I said, not just paying attention to the spiritual increase, like spreading the gospel and seeing souls saved. Yes, absolutely. But we also ought to pay attention and be concerned for the tangible implications of the gifts for our world, meeting and addressing real needs, tangible needs, physical, visible needs and issues as well, for the goal of expanding God's kingdom here on earth. Jesus didn't just save souls and forgive sins. He did that, yes, but he also fed 5,000 people on one occasion and 4,000 on another. He healed their wounds. He raised the dead back to life. He was concerned about both. And we ought to as well. Maybe you're asking, sitting here or sitting at home today, and you're asking, uh, what, what can I do? What should I do? What is God's will for my life? Maybe you're in college or getting ready to graduate high school, and you're trying to figure out what to do with your life. What does God want me to do? What is God's will for my life? Well, first of all, I would say that God is not hiding from you. He's not playing a game with you. It's not, his will is not a secret that you have to work really hard to uncover. He reveals his will for your life through the gifts and the talents that he's given you. So what you can do is take stock. Look around you. What has God given me? What are the gifts and the talents that God has given me? Pray for wisdom. Ask for wisdom. 
Use the passions that God has given you and just do something with it. Just do something with it. So we've talked about the gifts, the talents, and what they're to be used for, to put them to work. Um, They are generously given gifts to be used and stewarded um, for the purpose of God's kingdom. Now let's look at the motivation. Why should we do this? Why should we put God's gifts to work? And here's where I want us to look a little bit more closely at the third servant and allow the Lord to reveal our hearts as well through his word. Look with me at verses 24 and 25 at the third servant. He who also had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, have what is yours. I want to point out a couple things about this third servant. First, look how, look how often he uses the pronoun I. I, know you, I knew you to be a hard man. I was afraid, so I went. He's concerned about himself. And then, look at how he describes his master. He says, I knew you to be a hard man. He's saying, I know you. You are unfair, unjust, cruel. You're a mean guy. But he completely misunderstands the character of the master. What he, the description he gives does not match what we've seen of the master so far in this parable. We've seen that he's abundantly generous, that he wants to share his joy with others. And so his opinion of the man, look, leads him to action. He says, I was afraid, so I hid your talent in the ground. Pay attention to the connection between his opinion of God and his actions. His opinion of God was that he is a cruel, harsh person. God is a mean guy. So he's afraid and he hides. But he's wrong. He doesn't get that God, the master is symbolic of God here, is actually kind and generous and good. His wrong understanding leads him to disobedience. And ultimately to the punishment that he feared. It's a self-fulfilling prophecy for him. He is afraid that if he risks messing up and failing and losing the talent, that the man coming back would punish him. But it would have been just the opposite. Look at what the man says to him. He says, um, you, should, you, you knew this about me? Well, then you should have at least gone and put it in the bank so that it would earn interest. The master would have been pleased if he would have just done the minimum. He would have just done the minimum. What is your view of God this morning? What do you think the Father is like? What do you think Jesus is like? Do you have a true understanding of the God of the Bible? I think too often, and myself included, and this is where this text really got to me, Uh, as I was preparing. I think too often we think that God is cruel and harsh, that he's just waiting to get us when we mess up. And so we think, 
I can't risk failure. Because if I don't get this just right, or if I don't do this just perfectly, then God, the Father, is just going to be really disappointed with me, and he's going to get me. And if that is your view of God, you will never want to do anything for him. Because you will always live in fear. You'll never have the motivation to steward well the gifts that he's given you for his kingdom because you won't want to be around a king that's like that. Robert Capon is a a commentator on this passage, and he says it like this. He says, "Uh, We spend our lives invoking upon ourselves imagined necessities, creating God in the image of our fear. What he's saying is that we often make the mistake of letting our fears tell us what God is like, when in reality we need to let God's love tell us what he is like. 1 John 4.18 says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. That's like the third servant. He had not been perfected in love. So instead of trusting fear, our fear of God, we need to learn to trust in God's love. And what does God's love tell us? God's love revealed in Jesus reminds us of the gospel. It tells us the good news that God the Father loved the world in this way. He loved the world. He demonstrated his love by sending Jesus to come and rescue us from our sins. God's love is demonstrated by him sending Jesus to come and be the good and faithful servant for us. The good and faithful servant for us. That's the voice we need to listen to, not the voice of our fears. The motivation for Uh, Being good stewards of God's talents comes not from fear, but from love. It comes from realizing that in Jesus, by placing your faith in him, that God the Father looks at you right now and says, Well done, good and faithful servant. Matthew 3. Jesus comes up out of the waters of baptism, and the heavenly Father, the, the skies open, and the Father says, This is my beloved son. With him I am well pleased. In other words, the father was looking at the son and saying, Well done, good and faithful servant. Well done. I believe these are the words that our hearts desperately want to hear. We want to hear the affirmation of our father. We long for it. We want to hear, Well done, with you I am well pleased. And by faith in Christ, we have that affirmation already. When we believe in Jesus and rest in his work and person for us, what's his becomes ours. and We are united to him by his spirit. So the father's affirmation of the son becomes the father's affirmation of us as well who believe in Jesus Christ. Remember the gospel order. We don't work for God's affirmation for God's grace and salvation. Like Martin was saying earlier, we don't work to earn God's grace. We work because we have already earned, uh, already received by grace alone God's favor. 
We don't work to earn God's well done. We work because we know in Christ we already have it, spoken to us in Jesus Christ. And we are freed here to steward well God's talents, unafraid, knowing that in the words of the song we're going to sing in a moment, my Jesus has done all things well. My Jesus has done all things well. This is the motivation to be faithful stewards in the kingdom of God. The motivation comes not from gazing at ourselves and saying, I just need to work harder. I need to do better. I need to be better. I need to be that faithful servant. No, it comes from gazing upon the goodness, the sweet, wonderful, extravagant, beautiful generosity of Jesus Christ. And so until he returns... We work faithfully with the talents that he has given us, unafraid, knowing that when he does come back, we will hear from the Father, well done, good and faithful servant, and we will enter into his joy forever. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I pray that you would work this gospel message into our bones that we would realize the affirmation that you give us, the love that you give us, have given us in Christ already, that we would live not from fear, but from faith, faith that takes hold of this word, this promise, that we have salvation from you. We pray that you would work this word into our hearts, that we would steward well, as your church, as your people, that we would steward well the gifts that you have given us, looking forward to the joy set before us, that one day you will return and we will enter into your joy forever. Amen.